Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Well, uh, last weekend I was uh, down at the Ormo campus, and uh, as I was driving home, uh, I drove past this massive billboard on the side of the road for uh, University of Queensland's business school. And their advertisement was based all around this slogan that said, question everything except yourself. What a statement. Question everything except yourself. To me, that just sounds like a really polite way of saying, consider what everyone else says wrong and trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust what you know. It's an interesting statement though because I think it's something that resonates really strongly with the current cultural climate that we find ourselves in, a climate that is full of doubt. See, I think that if we thought about it, we would realise that doubt is our default stance. Think about it, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I got this amazing new job at Apple, your internal thought would probably be, I doubt it. Or someone said, hey, guess what? I met Hugh Jackman on the weekend. We're friends. I have his phone number. You would probably be like, I doubt it. And if you're a 28-year-old guy and you have a friend come up to you and say that they just set a new PB at the gym and it's heavier than yours is, you doubt it. There's no one stronger than me. You know, <laughs> like, that's how it is. You doubt it. And we live in a, in a culture of doubt. And I want to help you guys kind of see that, maybe for you. Actually, if you think about it, doubt is your default stance. See, what would you think if I said that in the last three months, I've been able to spend some time hanging out with a pastor that leads a church in Atlanta of 30,000 people and a pastor that leads a church in Oklahoma in America of 100,000 people. doubt it. You look at me. Why would they want to spend time with you? You're in Brisbane, so first you've got to get over to America somehow. You lead, Ben, a youth ministry of a couple of hundred teenagers. Yeah, you're doing a great job, but that's not even close to 30,000 or 100,000 people. How would you even get that opportunity? How would that even happen? You're probably sitting there thinking, I doubt it. But thankfully, For me, I took some photos, and I can prove it, because I know that you otherwise would not, and I'll just send a text to them both after saying I I told them, and they they believe me now. But we should see on the screens, uh, firstly, this photo here. This photo is a photo of Andy Stanley, who is the lead pastor of North Point Church in Atlanta that has around 30,000 people attend their church. Now, I'm sitting in the front row uh, after I've just given Andy a pep talk because he was nervous that I was there. Uh, I said, oh, Andy, don't worry about it, mate. I'm already proud of you. You've already proved yourself to me. You don't need to worry about it. You're going to do great. You can see he's a little bit nervous. His hands are shaking. It's him, not the photo. I'll tell you, it's a, it's a promise. But uh, I got to sit in the front row with Andy, which was amazing. I didn't get to talk to him, but I was so nervous that I couldn't even take a photo to prove it because I didn't want to be that guy like trying to get a selfie down the aisle with him down there, but he was just three seats away from my wife and I, and it was mind-blowing. And then, just a couple of weeks ago, this one's like 
off the charts. You'll see a photo of me chest bumping Craig Rochelle. Now, he leads a church of 100,000 people in America, and I had the opportunity to preach in front of him, and he gave me some feedback. And at the end, he gave me this massive big chest bump, which was so cool, except he fractured two ribs. Nah, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He's huge, though. He is seriously the strongest person I've ever met, and he's lean. It was just raw muscle hitting my slightly loose muscle, and it it was painful. But it was incredible. But these things happened. But I'm hoping that what you saw when I first started saying that these things happened to me is that maybe you have a default stance of doubt. Because the truth is we live in a culture of doubt. You know, you will doubt so many things probably today and definitely the rest of the week. Have you ever seen those health articles where it seems one week two coffees a day is good for you? The next week, 28 coffees a week is good for you. Then the next week, you find out that one coffee a day is really bad for you. And it's like, well, what's going on here? I doubt any of it is really even true. Maybe for some of you, you're like me. I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm 28. I'm starting to get to 30. And people keep telling me my metabolism is going to slow down. And so I'm starting to think, how can I prepare myself for that reality? And one of the most obvious things is light food. You know, L-I-T-E, light, and it's got the asterisk next to it because it's like light, 98% fat-free, but full of 98% of all this other stuff that I go, is that even good for me? And I, you know, I doubt that it's that good for me. In fact, I doubt that it will be as enjoyable as full food. So I'm thinking go out strong, go out on the full food. You know, like, no light food for me. If I'm going out, I'm going out in glory. All of the best tasting food as much as I possibly can. And I'll just deal with my metabolism later. It's future Ben's problem. But we doubt these things. You know, young adults, their big one is like, they doubt sometimes that people younger than them can afford to buy a house. You know, they're like, hang on a second, if I'm 28 and I can't afford to buy a house, how can you afford to buy a house at 21? You know, like, they ask all of these questions, they doubt all of these things, and really, one of the most famous catchphrases of people my age, when someone tells us a story, is picks or it didn't happen. Because we doubt it. We doubt everything. Because we live in a culture that says, question everything. Question everything. Our default position is doubt. And I think it's caught on for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think we like doubt because we can use doubt as a defense. If you've ever thought about a a moment where someone has told you some new information, say it was something about your diet, you know, someone's come up to you and said, hey, look, researchers said that cheese is really bad for you. One of the things that we can do to protect ourselves from ever having to give up cheese, because cheese is one of my favorite things to put on all meals, you know, butter chicken sounds weird, but cheese sounds, is really great with it. But, you know, all of these different things, we use it as a defense. Because if we don't believe it, then we're not accountable to live by it. So I think we like doubt because we can use it as a defense. Oh, yeah, you said that, but I'm not sure. Oh, I doubt that's really true. Oh, I'd want to see the research myself. Doubt is a defense. The second reason I think doubt has really caught on is because a couple of hundred years ago, we probably lived in a culture of faith. There were some really like just standard beliefs that everyone had. You know, things like the earth is the center of the universe, the earth is flat, a whole bunch of other things. Leeches are a really good way to like cure the flu, get some leeches on you, that'll help you out. And slowly but surely, we realized that these things weren't true. And all of a sudden, it began to look like we need to question everything that we've held as true because maybe it's all wrong. And so we like doubt, because doubt seems to be 
the pathway to understanding. Actually, if we can doubt the right things, we can find out what's really true, what's really right. So we like doubt for those two reasons. But doubt does have an impact on our faith. If we're living in a climate that says question everything, doubt can really eat away at our faith. Some of you here this morning, you might have some doubts or have some questions, and the truth is, if you do have them now, that's something that you're dealing with, but all of us, you're going to face doubts. You've either faced them in the past or you'll face them in the future. Doubts are are part of our faith. And if we took the time, I'm sure that we could fill these screens with the doubts and the questions that we collectively have. And the reason doubt is dangerous is because doubt can be something overwhelming, Doubt can be something that can leave us feeling unsettled and untethered and insecure about the things that we believe. And so this morning, we're going to look at how do we navigate doubt in a healthy way? How do we hold our doubts in such a way that maybe they can be helpful instead of detrimental? And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Thomas. And the reason for that is, if you don't know who Thomas is, he's the most famous doubter you'll ever hear of. Anytime we talk about doubt in the church, who do we go to? Thomas. His nickname was The Doubter. Talk about a nickname you want for the rest of eternity. Oh, look, there's Thomas, The Doubter. Fantastic. And we're going to do that by looking at John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open them up and read along with me uh, and take any notes that you want because it's always good to just get this uh, into our system ourselves. So John 20, verses 24 to 29, says this. Now Thomas also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, for a little bit of background, if you don't know this story, what's happened is that Jesus just recently died and rose again. And he's appeared to a bunch of the disciples. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. So all Thomas has experienced up until this point is that Jesus died. And so what happens the first time that he goes and sees the other disciples after the death of Jesus? They say this, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Now Thomas doesn't respond with, oh, that's awesome, show me. He says this, he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But then a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and start believing. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him this, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Thomas is one of these guys who's a real matter of fact, I want the certain truth. I want to see and feel and touch all the things. I want to experience this myself. And we see this because not only in this story, but in a previous story, Thomas has that attitude. In John chapter 14, verse 5, there's been a bit of a discourse where Jesus is telling the disciples about how he's one day going to leave them to go to heaven to prepare a place for them. Thomas, though, says this, Where are you going, Jesus? And if you don't tell us, 
how will we know how to get there? Thomas is like, Jesus, can you give us the GPS location of heaven so that I can put it in Google Maps, make sure I get there on time and at the right location? You're like, Thomas, it's heaven, mate. Like, there's no fixed location. It's all a bit confusing. But Thomas is just like one of those guys. Common sense, no nonsense. Tell me exactly where it is and how to get there, and I'll meet you there, Jesus. Don't you damn worry about it. It's going to be just fine. But that is not how it works. But while Thomas is this type of guy, a real common sense guy who wants to see things and experience things himself, to have certainty, to have a, a fixed location, there's a couple of things Thomas does with his doubts that are incredibly helpful and things that often we ourselves don't do, but we can learn from him. And if we can implement them, I think can help us take our doubts and make them something that are helpful rather than detrimental. And the first thing that Thomas does is super simple, super simple. Every one of us can do it. But the first thing that Thomas does with his doubts is he shares them. Now, not like a contagious flu, as in he just says, hey, these are my doubts. I have some doubts. I have some concerns about the things that you've been saying. I'm not sure if they're true. He says, unless I see the nail marks in, my, in his hand, unless I see the wound in his side, I will not believe. Now, we can judge him quite harshly on the other side of history, but if you think about these circumstances, how would you react? See, Thomas has sacrificed three years of his life to follow Jesus. He left family and friends. He left his career, all in the hopes that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, imagine how he feels when all of a sudden, Jesus dies. All of his sacrifice, all of his hard work, all of the times that he's justified to his family and friends that he's following the Messiah dead. His dreams crushed, his hopes and his, his picture of the future all of a sudden just thrown in the trash because he has no idea what to do with the fact that what he thought was going to happen has now not happened. And imagine how he feels when he walks in for the first time to see the guys who he thinks are going to feel the same things he feels. They'll get it. They've been where I was. They left everything and Jesus died. And he walks in and the first thing they say to him, we've seen Jesus alive. Ridiculous, isn't it? Like, what would you say? Wait until they say to him, and the doors were locked, and he just walked through the walls. Like, imagine, like, what are you going to say? Are you going to be open to this possible new reality? Then you think, oh, I guess people can rise from the dead now. Cool, I'll just get on board with that. No stress, no worries. No, we are going to have a sense of doubt and concern and confusion because this isn't something that we're used to. This is something that sits outside our understanding and comprehension and it's going to change the way that we relate to the world. So there's doubt involved. But Thomas shares his doubts. And the reason this is so important is Thomas would have had every single right that when they said these crazy outlandish things, he could have gone, yeah, cool, guys. Um, I just, I forgot I've got an appointment with um, just someone and I need to get out of here while you guys are out of your absolute mind. You know, like he could have just left them be and just said, I don't want anything to do with them anymore. But instead, Thomas is willing to just share his doubt with them. And what it does is it does this simple thing. The disciples now know Thomas has doubts. 
The disciples now know that they need to care for Thomas, support Thomas, help Thomas. They know that there's a role that they can play for Thomas because he has shared it with them. And so often for us, we do the exact opposite. See, when we carry doubts, what we do is we, is we start feeling afraid. And so because you feel afraid, you go, oh, I'm not really sure I'm going to share this with anyone because I'm not sure how people are going to react. Or maybe you start thinking to yourself, you know what, good Christians wouldn't doubt, and that means that there's something wrong with me. I can't let people know that I'm struggling. Or this is the first time in your life that you have been experiencing the burden of doubt, and you just don't know what to do with it. And so you keep it to yourself. You don't share it. You don't want others to know. You keep it to yourself. The problem is that when you do that, you rob other people of the opportunity to help you. You miss out on the support and care of other people. You miss out on the collective resources of this room. Like this room is full of people who may have the resources to help you with your doubts, to answer some of the difficult questions that you've been facing. And if you keep it to yourself, they will never know. You will never be able to get pointed to that one person who could give you what you need in one conversation. So if you're here this morning and you feel the burden of doubt, if you feel like you're carrying that doubt and you feel like, I'm not sure what to do with it, here's what you need to do with it. Share it with someone. Share your doubts with someone that you trust, with someone that you know cares about you, with someone who you know will help you, but share your doubts. Share it with them. It's what Thomas does and it's really, really important because it helps those around him do the second thing that Thomas does, which is really, really important for us to do too. See, the second thing, I don't know if you noticed it, but Thomas does this. While he's doubtful, he stays faithful. While he's doubtful, he stays faithful. And I'm not saying he was like full of faith and full of doubt at the same time. Like literally, he was, he was doubtful. He really had some serious doubts about this. And yet he stayed faithful to the people that he'd been doing life with. He stayed faithfully connected to his community. And again, it's easy for Thomas to have just walked away. We, we see that after the first instance, it would have been easy for him to say, I'm done with them. They're insane. But imagine how hard it would have been for him to do. It says that Thomas was with the disciples a week later. Imagine what that week would have felt like for Thomas while every time the disciples came together, they just talked about Jesus being alive. Imagine it. You know that thing that you missed out on one time and your friends talk about it all of the time and you go, man, I just wish they'd shut up about that thing because I missed out on it and I wish I'd been a part of it. That's Thomas sitting there every mealtime, every time they gather, gather together because the disciples would have been on cloud nine just every time there's a lulling conversation. I still can't believe Jesus is alive. I still can't believe it's crazy. Do you think he'll come back again? Imagine if he comes back again. I wonder if there'll be the holes in his hands still or not. Like, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, like, they would be talking about it incessantly. It would drive him insane. I can just imagine Thomas at one point just sitting there wanting to just smash down his knife and fork on the table. I don't even know if they used that then. Maybe they're just their hands. But he just smashes something down on the table and goes, that's it. I'm done with this. I'm done with it. You guys are insane. Absolutely mental. I know the first stage of grief is denial, but I didn't realize the second stage of grief is delusional. You know, like you guys are just off the rocker. You just lost it. And he'd be like, that's it, I'm done, I'm out. Nothing to do with it. But Thomas, while he is doubtful, stays faithful. And it's so important 
just for one real reason. When you stay faithful to the community of people who want to answer the same questions as you, who are interested in pursuing the same truth as you, is they protect you from your doubt being consolidated. Your doubt almost like being proved by the opinion of others. See, if you think about it, if Thomas had left those group of disciples and went back to his old life, Imagine him talking to these people. He goes back, he sees his family, he sees his friends, he sees his co-workers, and they're going to ask him the question, Thomas, what happened? You've been gone for three years, and I thought you were following this Jesus guy around. What happened? And Thomas would tell them exactly what happened, and that when Jesus died, he went to go and hang out with these other guys who had been following Jesus too, and all of them were saying, Jesus is alive. And he'd probably say something like, and I just couldn't get my head around it. I was like, there's no way that can be true. And guess what those people who hadn't experienced Jesus, who hadn't been around the other disciples would say? Yeah, man, it sounds like they're insane. Lucky you got out. And so time and time again, that would happen over and over and over until Thomas believes that his doubts are the realest thing that he could ever think. Because everyone else would just consolidate and confirm his doubts. But because he stayed in this group of people, he was protected and an opportunity was created for him. See, when I was 19 years old, I was in a a pretty similar stage. I'm a pastor's kid, a PK, and everyone knows that pastor's kids end up going through a rough patch. And mine was pretty bad. If you see the photo up here, like, look at that mug. Look at that hair. Look at those clothes. Like, look at that face. Oh, man, disgusting. But... I do sometimes think I should use that photo and then a photo like this and be like before and after and be like, your life with Jesus, like, you know, the most convincing argument for God. Ben, look at it. Like, look at that, to this. And my wife's not here this morning, but I'm married to an absolute babe who's an, an amazing woman. And it's like, how did that guy get that? God, Jesus alone, okay? So if you want that in your life, come and talk to me after. But I was in that stage. Like, I was that guy and I was the biggest cynic, the biggest doubter going around. And Obviously, what every uh, good, cynical doubter does is they go to Bible college for 12 months. (laughs) I don't know why I did it, but I went to Bible college because my best mate was going, and I thought, why not? But I was not really interested. I just wanted to hang out with my friend and maybe meet some other friends and maybe a girl, Um, you know, all the honest reasons of why I was there. But about halfway through the year, it started to really get to this point where I was like, why am I even here? Had this assignment that I had to do. We had to do a creative element to it. So, you know, people were writing all these beautiful poems, performing songs that they'd written by themselves. Some other people had performed these immense choreographed routines. And then it was my turn. Now, if you know me, I'm not super creative in terms of those different elements. But I was cynical and, and probably didn't care enough that... I just gave my lecturers a random song to play and I decided to spontaneously dance whatever I felt was appropriate at the time and somehow that communicated my feelings about what I'd been learning this semester. It was a joke. It was ridiculous. I got a distinction. My highest uni mark ever. Apparently, it was really authentic, and it was, because I didn't plan any of it. It was all just made up. But I just didn't care. I was like, what even is the point of this? And I probably still argue that, because I'm terrible at creative. So I said, what's even the point? But it was around then where I thought, maybe I should just stop. Like, what's the point? I'm paying all these hex fees, 
and I'm wasting everyone's time and doing spontaneous dumb dances and all of this. Why am I even here? And I really thought about giving up to the point that one of my friends, he also said, hey, I'm thinking about dropping out and going and working. And I thought, great, I'm not the only one. Maybe if two of us drop out, people won't judge me so harshly. But for whatever reason, probably just because I was lazy and didn't know how to actually drop out of uni, I still don't know how to drop out of uni. Someone help me. But uh, I was there at mid-year Bible college camp. Now, can I just say that if you want to go to the most Christian, hyped-up Jesus place ever, mid-year Bible college camp is the place to go. Everyone's had six months of learning and loving Jesus. Everyone's had six months of like D&Ms and conversations. And you get a week of just like worship and messages and people who are like at Bible college. So they just love Jesus so much. And everyone's just... Love Jesus. It's amazing. (laughs) Except, oh, I'm not there anymore. But except that guy. He didn't love Jesus that much then. And I remember being there. I was just a cynical guy in the corner. Like, why are we doing this? All of this is dumb. I think everything is stupid. Just dumb. Doubt that. Doubt that. We get to the last night. And uh, if any of you have been on a camp before, a Christian camp, you know that the last night is cry night, as we like to describe in youth (laughs) ministry. Last night's cry night. And uh, we love... We love the last night because we know it's when we need all the tissues that we take to camp and all of the kids cry. And I'd been on a lot of camps as a kid. As a pastor's kid, mum and dad made me go to the church camps and the extra camps to make sure I got as much Jesus in me as possible. And um, I knew the last night was cry night. I'd been a victim of the last night cry night. Victim's the wrong word. I'd been a part of the last night cry night. And I remember getting to that night at Bible college, and I was sick of all these like hyped up Jesus people, and I was like, whatever. So I'm standing there leaning next to the door. My friend Kate is there, and she'd been on a lot of camps. We'd met on some of these camps beforehand, and I remember saying to her, I said, hey, Kate, you ready to cry? It's just so cynical. You ready to cry? And she was like, Ben, you better be careful. You might be crying tonight. Nah, I'm not going to cry. I've completely suppressed all emotions to the point I don't feel anything anymore, so I'll be fine. But we get in there, and worship's going on, and I'm standing in the back, arms crossed, thinking, what even are these songs? What's Hosanna even mean? I don't even know. Why am I singing if I don't even know what it means? You know, like, just real loser kind of guy. And uh, the person gets up there and does this message, and it's a really profound message. I can't remember any of it, but it was really profound, and people were really engaging with it, and it gets to the end of it. And I remember she's up the front and she's like, look, if anyone needs to do business with God tonight, then now's your time to do it. I want you to come to the front. And I remember just feeling my heart feel nothing. And I did not respond in any way at all. I was like, no, not interested. Everyone else was running down the front, tears down their face. Oh my gosh, I just love Jesus so much. And all this sort of stuff. And I'm standing at the back. Again, just whatever. So cynical. This guy, one of my leaders comes over to pray for me. He says, hey, hey, Ben, can I pray for you? Now, at Bible college, you have to say yes to every prayer. <laughs> you just, you have to. If you don't, you get in trouble, you get a suspension. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But it does feel like that sometimes. It's like, how do I say no at Bible college? But um, he starts praying for me, and that was the moment everything changed. So he starts praying for me, and I still can't describe it now, but my, my face got hot, like really hot. It was the middle of a Victorian winter, so it made no sense. Really hot. My eyes started to flicker, and I remember thinking to myself, I don't think I can stand up right now and doing everything within my power to make sure that I did. Like, no, I'm not going to fall over. Like, but eventually, I just couldn't, and I just I fell over. 
And I just started bawling my eyes out, just crying. Like, not like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like at the back, like that real guy, <laughs> crying at the back. It was horrific. And the guy had no idea what was going on. He told me after all he said was, God, do whatever you need to do in Ben's life. And then I fell over and he was like, oh my gosh. And I started bawling like that. And he left me. He literally just, okay, see you, mate. You go do whatever you need to do. So I'm up the back. Everyone's up the front, normal crying and getting prayed for. I'm up the back, lying like this, <laughs> crying in the back. Everyone's like, what is going wrong with this guy? People leaving to go to the toilet. Who is he? What's happening? So, I'm control. You know, and like, I'm like, 15 minutes, full on crying. I stop, I sit up. I'm like, well, that was weird. <laughs> I've never had that happen before. And then I just, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but this joy began to well up inside of me to this point that I just started laughing. Again, let me set the room. Jesus people crying at the front, getting prayed for, candle lights. <laughs> me up the back, hysterically laughing. Again, not just like, ha, 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 but like full-bodied laughing. And I'm getting shushed because everyone's like, that punk band up the back is laughing at everyone who's getting prayed for right now. Shh, be respectful, shh. Stop it. I couldn't stop. Nothing funny was happening. One guy was trying to walk out of the room, and the whole time he was like, is my fly undone? Like, what's going on? I'm, like, I'm really self-conscious. Why is this guy laughing at me? I had no idea what was going on. That finishes, and I remember standing up and going, I feel really good, really good. And I didn't know it at the time, but I talked to someone after, and what happened was I just got filled with the Spirit, and just the joy of the Lord was just, like, pouring out of me. I can't describe it any other way. But I walked out of that room a different person. So much so that people said, Ben, your eyes look different. It looks like there's a weight that's physically being lifted off your shoulder. You seem different just from what happened in that room. And see, I was full of doubts. But for some reason, I was faithful enough to be there. I was faithful to my community and it protected me from my doubts taking over my life. And the incredible thing is, if I hadn't have been there then, I wouldn't be here now. And it's exactly the same for Thomas. If Thomas had let his doubts rule his life and he decided, I'm not going to be faithful to these group of people, the second time Jesus appeared, Thomas would have missed out again. The disciples would have another incredible story of all that Jesus had done and all the crazy things that Jesus was doing, and Thomas would have been left with his doubts. But because he was faithful, because I was faithful, we were able to be protected from our doubts and actually helped to stay in the battle, to stay in the fight until Jesus showed up and changed Thomas's life and changed my life. And the thing that we need to understand is this, is that doubt will tempt us to disengage, but we must stay faithful. See, your doubts will ask you to stop. Your doubts will whisper things to you like this, you obviously don't belong here. Look at everyone else. They aren't doubting. You're a bad Christian for doubting. No one wants to hear your questions. They'll think you're backsliding or that you've lost your faith. Mate, once they find out you're doubting, they're just going to kick you out anyway. You may as well just leave. See, doubt will tempt you to disengage. That will ask you to do that. Just stop. Give up. Quit trying. No one's going to help. But if you will stay faithful, then what will happen is 
your doubts will get transformed into greater faith. So that's what happened for me. My life got transformed to the point that there's no way you could ever convince me that God is not real. And Thomas had the exact same experience. See, Thomas sees Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. And this, in the Gospel of John, is the first time that Jesus is referred to as God after the resurrection. Thomas, the one who doubted, is the first one to make the proclamation that Jesus is God. Incredible. Because his doubts were transformed into greater faith. So much so that Thomas went from being a doubter to living the rest of his life proclaiming the good news of Jesus. See, Thomas is often credited as like the first missionary to India. That he went into a whole bunch of areas in Asia that people hadn't been before and he was going there and sharing the good news of Jesus with those people. Thomas, the same guy who said, unless I see this, I will not believe. See, Thomas's doubts were transformed into greater faith. And Jesus wants to take whatever doubts it is that you are dealing with here this morning and he wants to transform them into greater faith for you. That's what Jesus wants to do. Jesus wants to transform your doubts into greater faith. And we know he wants to do that because we see throughout the Bible that God is okay with our doubts. See, in the Psalms, we often see the psalmist asking these questions, God, where are you? God, why have you abandoned me? And God is so comfortable with doubts and questions that he leaves it in the Bible for us to read, to see that he's okay with people asking these questions. He's okay with you asking those questions. We even see in the story of Jesus' birth that Mary, when she is confronted by the angel and told about God's plans for her, she even says, but how will this happen? Even she has a little moment of doubt. But God is okay with your doubts because he wants to take them and transform them into greater faith. You see in the Psalms, so often the psalmist ends up at the end of their psalm or at the start they've been complaining about God not doing anything or God being absent in their life, at the end is declaring the goodness of God because God has transformed their doubts into greater faith. Mary, a little bit later, has an experience where all of a sudden her doubts are transformed into greater faith. There's this little moment where Mary starts to sing a song of praise to God for how good he has been to her and how good he is going to continue to be to her. Her doubts are transformed into greater faith. See, God is not scared of your doubts. God is not conf like confused or worried that you're doubting. They're safe. If you will choose to share your doubts with others and stay faithful, even when you're doubtful. Because God wants to transform your doubts into greater faith. God wants to transform your, faith, um, your doubts into greater faith. And we see that for us, we can stay faithful to our community, but God has also given us an incredible resource to help us be able to have so many of our doubts answered. See, Thomas had the opportunity to hear directly from eyewitnesses about Jesus' resurrection. And we often think, yeah, but we don't get to see that. Like the disciples got to see the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, exactly. But 
they also wrote down all that they saw. What we read when we read the gospel is either eyewitness accounts or the records recorded by people who were talking to eyewitnesses. We have those same resources available to us. So when we have these big questions, we have the word of God that has so many of the answers that we're looking for. That if we're willing to dive into it and look at it, God is willing to reveal himself and use it to transform your doubt into greater faith. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus transforms so many different things. See, Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took a death, a death that he didn't deserve, a punishment that wasn't for him. And he used that vile, vicious, uncomfortable death to bring about a change and a transformation in our relationship with God. That through that death, grace was given. That through that death, relationship was restored. That through that death, death itself was no longer the punishment we deserved, but the doorway to eternal life that we've always wanted, that we've always needed. Jesus was able to transform death into life. And so how much more should we be confident that Jesus can transform our doubts into greater faith. That actually Jesus can see and knows every single one of the doubts that you are already carrying and he wants to take that and transform it into greater faith so that you, no matter how you arrived today, whether it was comfortable in your relationship with God, whether it was overwhelmed in your relationship, whether it was carrying doubts that you felt like, I don't know how much longer I can carry them for, that you can know that Jesus wants to transform your doubt into greater faith. That he wants you to see, he wants to see you live with a newfound confidence. A confidence that says, I have had my doubts transformed. In fact, I am going to be like Thomas. I am not just going to be someone who doubts anymore, but I'm going to be someone who proclaims. I'm going to be someone who tells everyone about the good news of Jesus because I've had my doubts transformed. I'm comfortable. I'm confident. I know what I stand for. I know what I believe because Jesus has met with me and taken my doubts and made them into greater faith. And this will happen if you choose to share your doubts with others and to stay faithful even when you're doubtful. And the great thing is for all of us, when we get to that other side, is that we have the opportunity to be a gift to others. See, I don't know if you notice how the disciples react to Thomas, but when Thomas first says that, I won't believe unless I see this, this, and this. Can you imagine how discouraging that would have been for the disciples? That Thomas would have probably said some more than just that. He would have said, that sounds crazy. You sound like you're out of your minds. I'm not going to believe it unless these exact things happen. See, it would have been really easy for the disciples to say, well, fine. You can leave, Thomas. If you don't want to believe us, I thought we were friends, Thomas. I thought we, we kind of believed the same things. I thought we were doing life together and you're going to treat us like that. You know what? We want nothing to do with you. You can leave us alone. But they don't. They don't push Thomas aside, even though he has doubts about what they have seen and experienced. Instead, they continue to welcome Thomas in and help him stay a part of the community. 
because they know how important it is. They, they want to help Thomas. They want to support Thomas. They want to care for Thomas. And so the disciples bring him in and support him and care for him. And so if you were here this morning and you feel like, you know what, I feel great in my faith. I feel confident in my faith. I feel like I've had my doubts answered and resolved. Then your responsibility is to help those who are struggling. Help those who are carrying the burden of doubt, just as the disciples did. Because when we do that as a church, we get to see this be a place where big questions are welcomed where people with doubts feel safe to share what's going on for them. To actually be a place where we see story after story of people's doubts being transformed into greater faith. Where we get to be a church that influences the world that we live in. Where because you have had your faith just transformed and grown in such an incredible way, not just here, but when you go to your family and you deal with that uncle, or that cousin who just has so many questions, so many doubts, and always seems to antagonize you when you're standing there around the barbecue, you can actually say, you know what? I welcome your questions. I welcome your doubts because I've been there and I've had them transformed into greater faith. That when you go into your workplaces and you risk the same sort of treatment, the moments of being isolated or you know, labeled a bigot or uneducated or archaic, that actually you have the strength to be able to stand there and say, that's okay, what are your questions? Let's see if we can figure this thing out together. I've been there, I've had my questions, I've had my doubts, and I'm now on the other side with greater faith. When we do that, we can be a church of influence, people of influence, because we can go out into a world full of doubt and provide an opportunity for faith, an opportunity for confidence, for certainty, because so many people are so overwhelmed by the burden of doubt. And they're just looking for some certainty. They're just looking for something to put their faith in. They're sick of taking everything apart and they want to put something back together again. And we can do that by showing them Jesus and showing them that there is a greater faith to be found in Him. That's the opportunity for us. That's the opportunity for you if we're willing to be people who share our doubts and stay faithful even when we're doubtful. And so what I want to do as we finish up here is I want to create two opportunities. The first thing I want to do is I want to create an opportunity for some of you in the room here this morning who might be feeling like I'm a doubter. You might be sitting here and you might identify as an agnostic or an atheist and you're not even really sure why you're in the room. Maybe you're someone who you feel like, I don't even know what faith looks like for me at the moment. I just feel so full of doubt. And actually, you want to start the journey of going from doubting to believing. Just as, you know, Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and start believing. Maybe that's the step you want to take this morning. And so what I want to do is I want to just get us to close our eyes and bow our heads and just create an opportunity. We just do this, if you've never seen this happen before, so that it creates a a, a sense of privacy and an opportunity for people to do business with God without uh, everyone having a look because we think that's important that this is between you and God. And in a moment, what I'm going to get you to do is I'm going to get you to just raise your hand where you are. Again, there's nothing super special about that. It's not like you're going to raise your hand and all of a sudden all of your answers and doubts are going to be, uh, all your questions are going to be answered. But what's going to happen is you're just going to say, I identify with that. I want to stop doubting and I want to start believing in Jesus. I just want to go on the journey of figuring out if this thing's true, if this thing's for me. I want to stop doubting and start believing. And so if that's you here this morning, 
If you want to start that journey, if you want to stop doubting and start believing, would you just raise your hands where you are just right now, if that's you, just to say, that's me, I, I make that decision. That's great. I see those two hands. If there's anyone else, just raise your hand. Say, that's me. I want to stop doubting and I want to start believing. Just give one more opportunity. I know it can be hard sometimes when you're wrestling with doubt to just go, yep, that's me. I want to do that. Because doubt's going to tell you not to. Doubt's going to tell you you're wasting your time. But here's an opportunity. If that's you, just raise your hand where you are right now. That's great. All good. Well, we had two people just raise their hand. So I'm just going to just pray. And if you raised your hand, I'd just love you to just pray this in your heart uh, along behind me, okay? The Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for how I've been doubting. I ask that you would help me to start believing. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my questions. And Jesus, would you transform them into greater faith? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give those uh, people who just raised their hand a massive round of applause this morning? We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.